Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Sold Out 2000 had all the in-ring action, but today we're dishing on what was going on behind the scenes. You listen to them, now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olsen. That's me. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Woo, yes, we are taking you all the way back with this one today. Hello and welcome to After 83 Weeks. Just give us a sec to finish jamming out. Yes, this has nothing to do with WCW Sold Out 2000. It's just a fun song from the same period of time. This is the show for all of you 83 Weeks fans out there who listen to their episode about Sold Out 2000 to come and hang out with us. We cover all the big reveals. We get your fan reactions. And also, the Eric Bischoff will be calling in in just a few minutes to answer your questions. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's not just little old me here in the studio jamming out. Say hello to a man who's a 13-year veteran of the biz. He's also the host of AfterBuzz TV's SmackDown After Show. No, no, not you. It's Christian Rosenberg. <laughs> That's me. And I'm missing my red Yankee cap. And I'm upset. I didn't get the memo. <laughs> well, you rocked out really good. Yes, I did. And you, were, you weren't alone. You had a, a side. He was passenger to your car driver. Yes, there they go. He runs the YouTube channel for all your favorite uh, wrestling legends. Please call him Steve Kaufman. Please do call me Steve Kaufman, <laughs> and I am desperately hoping I don't have to take this track out. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I always think about that. <laughs> Not enough to do it. I'm just like very much like I hope He's, they have. We'll take care of in a post. I hope we're talking loud enough over top of the track. He's a producer, people, and this is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. I gave you that just in case you have to start there. And, <laughs> <laughs> And as I mentioned, Eric Bischoff will be calling in a little bit later to answer all the questions we've gathered from you guys on the social media. We are on the 83 Weeks channel. Make sure you subscribe. Give them a little thumbs up. We are happy to be on their channel. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you prefer to listen. Make sure you uh, give us a little five-star rating and leave a comment. Let us know what you think about the show because we love breaking it down with you. And this one was juicy. Even though I know you all say I got to get another word, I say it too much. It can be the drink. It can be the drinking game for this show. Take a shot every time Chrissy says "juicy." Drink responsibly, <laughs> and that. But <laughs> Eric was not even there. However, he was still the president of the company technically at this time. He's still uh, talking to some people every once in a while on the phone, and he knows what is going on behind the scenes as far as WCW and Turner goes, and all of that. He so he's not just guessing in this one. He says at this time in WCW. Everyone was scared. Did that stand out to you guys like it did to me? Well, when he says everyone, I think he means the people in power that kind of are running the ship without him. Not that everyone was necessarily terrified for their jobs and knew, like, the ship was going down well, yeah, and it wasn't going well. Because I think anyone, like, talent, like, we, he talked a bit about Shane Douglas's lawyer said, do not get out of your contract. <laughs> like, this might be the biggest contract you'll ever see in this business. Right. And this company might go bankrupt in a year to two years, and they're stuck with you for however long. Like, Time Warner is stuck with you for however long your contract is for. Right. So I think there's a lot of talent 
the, not scared so much as agitated. They want to make a move and they want to find the greener pasture like the radicals did, mm-hmm. but have such a safe bet. And a lot of them, a lot of them didn't leave and then had really good deals. Well, it sounds like they could sort of see the writing on the wall a little bit as we hear about these walkouts, these temper tantrums that Vince Russo, who now has the reins, <laughs> is a pretty emotional guy. Does that that obviously jives with what we've heard before? But what about this reputation of the breakdowns and all of that? Rosenberg, give us a little uh, insight to Vince Russo and his bad reputation. Well, he has a very bad reputation, and he and. He represents it very well. <laughs> um, no, but it, actually, it honestly, it didn't even dawn on me as far as he constantly, like, will run away from things. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, all the time. But I'll soon, as soon as Eric mentioned it, I'm like, oh, my God, he's absolutely right. Anytime there's backlash against Vince Russo, he goes into... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline to hiding Mm -hmm. where he runs away I mean as weird as this sounds I had a situation with a bunch of his fans last year over Twitter weird because so there was a um, another wrestling journalist that Vince Russo for whatever reason was insulted and making these horrible remarks about this person's girlfriend who had nothing to do with it whatsoever slimy yeah which is Vince Russo and then but then all of his like followers, because he has a following, mm-hmm. they started then harassing her over social media, and I sent out and like calling her job, like it got yeah. they like they her, called they, her source of employment. Yeah, wow, it like, was bad. It was bad. We'll name names later. Yeah, and and I essentially sent out like one tweet, <laughs> literally it was one tweet, um, you know, talking about how how this is wrong, blah blah blah. Yeah, and then my social media was bombarded by people harassing me and threatening me, and I. I personally found it hilarious that it, like, it was getting to that point. But there was so much backlash from what the journalists said, what I said, what other people said, that all of a sudden, Vince Russo go, I'm getting off social media for a while. I'm stopping my show for a while. Oh, like, for I'm goodness like, sakes. Like, it's, like, it, it's even something like that. He runs away. All of a sudden, when there's a situation and he doesn't know what to do because he knows he's in the wrong yeah. and can't figure out a way to make it to the right, he runs and hides like a child. And that's what Eric Bischoff described. And I personally witnessed it firsthand on something much more mundane than this. <laughs> wow, that's a good one. Yeah, and I, I expect more harassment from from his his uh, supporters. After this, who are these people that support him? I think they live in the, all in the same house. <laughs> um, no, no, those are the people who appear on his channel. Oh! His supporters are um, a sect of Stern fans, I believe. Okay. I don't actually know, but it's it's the same. It's as someone who was a fan of Howard Stern, he has a cold following. There's no doubt about that. He has a following. There's very much the idea that the guy I listen to can do no wrong, and like his narrative, I'm always going to jump in and defend him in random threads. I see it a lot too. I will point out Jim Cornette has a similar following. I just happen to agree with his following more. So it, but it's the same mentality of oh, people are people are spouting. An incorrect narrative to the one I'm being told. Let's jump in. Mm-hmm. 
Well, something very interesting here is that Bischoff refuses to talk numbers about this period of time. There were dirt sheet reports that said that in uh, 1999 that WCW had lost $10 million. Bischoff maintains that those numbers came from someone at WCW who had an agenda that um, a a loss of revenue would help their agenda. Mm -hmm. And he just sort of refuses to discuss it. I'm wondering, is there any way to get these numbers legally today? Talk well, to whoever their tax person is. Well, no, um, well, no, what, what do you mean? <laughs> well, he, that's what I mean. I'm not above that. Yeah. But the book he, the book he cited, <laughs> saying. the book he had mentioned specifically spoke to accountants at Turner who specifically said. The Nitro book. Yeah, the, the Nitro book specifically goes into this and it's like, and there were accountants at Turner who said, I don't know where those numbers came from. I also think. There might be something more closely tied to Eric in '99 that he might not, that he he might not feel obliged to talk about. But I think, mm-hmm. within reason, it's completely, it's completely reasonable to say, you know what, they wanted it to look like we lost ten million dollars, mm-hmm. and we're under their umbrella. They can do that. Yeah, because as he says, Turner Broadcasting, they'd already decided they didn't want WCW. Time Warner certainly didn't want it, and it's no wonder that the entire future of the company was sort of up in the air at this time. Mm-hmm. Well, what we do know is that uh, people were not liking the job that Vince Russo was doing, and after a few months, he was told that he was going to have to be part of a committee that would uh, include a few others that would help him make decisions. He didn't want to do that. And according to Eric Bischoff, he's uh, not much of a collaborator. To be fair, I agree with Vince Russo on this one point. If WCW hired him to run WCW, mm-hmm. they don't get the right to come back 90 days later and say, and say, you actually, we want to put you on a committee to run WCW. Unless there was something in his contract that of stated course, it. But like, even, even so, like, the, we agree, don't know that. the agreement that, the agreement was he was, he was the mastermind behind the Attitude Era and they were going to bring him in and give him all the reins. That's not what happened. Once again... There were extenuating circumstances. He was wildly unprofessional. Mm-hmm. By all what? By all accounts, he was not. He was dodging. Like he was. By any account we can cite, things weren't going well while he was running WCW. That they had to step in. Judy mm-hmm. Bagwell on a pole. What? <laughs> I but mean, you're, if you're was, essentially saying his position changed. Yes, but if his if they gave him one position and then they tried to change the other position. I mean, he's within his right to be like, no, but he's also, he's more like, bro. That That's his argument. Yeah. Bro. Well, his, bro. his whole argument is bro. Like, he doesn't. Matt Riddle does it better. You're right. You, you mentioned this idea that Vince Russo was responsible for The Rock, Goldberg, these big guys and the big things that happened at WWF. Is that something that only he has ever, is that a narrative that only Russo himself has ever pushed? Have we heard that elsewhere? <laughs> I mean, which Where does you that want? even come from? Um, it comes from him stating that he created them and everyone else saying, you know, he might have had a part in suggesting certain aspects of it. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it takes the right person to get whatever character it is over. Mm-hmm. He's not he's not channeling the way The Rock is delivering his promos. Right. He's not going in there wrestling the way um, Val Venus... Oh, I mean, I'm just... Randomly yeah, picking but, a guy. Um, I mean, so he he certainly had an impact on characters. Not denying that whatsoever. Is he the sole reason for things? No. Is anyone the sole reason for anything? And, and, no, I think that's and that's true. Problem. So, like, but the, the, his problem is he he likes to backwardsly claim, "Oh, I don't want credit, bro. I don't want credit." 
I just want to state that on this interview, The Rock told Oprah that I told him to start calling himself The Rock. And that Bruce Pritchard's a liar. Did that happen? Oh, the 100. Thing? Yep. I don't remember that. Oh, oh I, sent you a, I sent you a text about it because it was a whole thing on Pritchard's channel that I released a clip about. I released a clip on Pritchard's channel where they were re-debating who started talking about The Rock. And then they were saying it was Jim. One per, Pritchard was saying it was Jim Ross. And that Russo was claiming it was him. And then Russo okay. played a clip from Oprah where The Rock claimed it was Russo. So, like, Russo was, like, uh, correct. I just love it when grown men fight like little children. But, like, Russo was correct, but then he kept calling out Pritchard, like, bring me on your show. Pritchard, bring me on. I want to be a guest on your podcast. And right, because he, he, because he, wants, he wants followers. And he's never... And no he, one ever bites on that. Well, Bischoff no. himself even told us last yeah. week too. Well, because eighty-three weeks or something either. to wrestle with aren't guest shows. That's and that. like Pritchard. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Russo didn't do the due diligence to even look into what something to wrestle with is. Right. Which is interesting because Russo's also a wrestling podcaster. Well, there's also this idea that you know at WWF Vince's ideas were or uh, Russo's ideas were filtered through Vince. So now when he comes over to WCW and has full reign and uh, is in charge of making all of his own ideas happen, that when he sort of loses that filter is what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because again, kind of going back to Steve, to what you were saying, because it's it's always a combination. There's always the argument of. You know, did Vince McMahon make Hulk Hogan or did Hulk Hogan make WWE? No. Mm-hmm. I mean, there would be, there would have been no Hulk Hogan at, to the extent of what it was without Vince McMahon helping. But obviously, WWF wouldn't have reached a pinnacle of where it's been without Hulk Hogan there. I mean, so it's always a combination of stuff. Vince Russo wouldn't accept it. And he, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, he had to filter things through Vince McMahon or Pritchard or whoever else. Mm-hmm. And... And he's still taking the credit for it when it was a combination of people. Now he tries to take credit. And in three months, um, no, you're terrible. Mm, well, this all comes to a head on the day of Sold Out 2000 <laughs> when Kevin Sullivan is named Booker. Fifteen wrestlers revolts. They, what are more words this was for fascinating. revolts? They're, yes. They are up in arms. They are Protest. not going to have it. And 15 wrestlers ask for their release on the day of a pay-per-view. If you looked up disaster in the dictionary, mm. I'm pretty sure I would say 15 WCW wrestlers yeah. asking for plus the, the day of a pay-per-view. Plus three of the top guys out with injury. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So there's really up to 18 people that you won't have the next night on Nitro. But And it's also worth noting, as I was mentioning earlier, mm. these guys have like the one thing wrestling probably may never have again, which is a legit guaranteed contract. Mm-hmm. Like a guaranteed you have a job and money with us for X amount of years. Right. Like, WWE doesn't give those out. Like, guaranteed in the way WCW guaranteed them. And 15 of them were so fed up that they were like, no. No, if we all leave, if we all threaten to leave, they'll actually make a change. And if they don't, if they don't, we'll all get somewhere. We'll all be able to go somewhere. (laughs) We know a place we can go. Well, only um, six, it came down to really six of them after Nitro happened the next night, and then they were at, okay, so let me back up, sorry. Mm. At first, they were appeased with promises. It was like, oh, guys, stick around, we got all this good stuff going for you. Nitro, the next night, eh, the tune has changed a little bit. They were threatened or told they were going to be sent home. This is where Benoit hands over the title and Mm. says, bye-bye. There's a Mike Graham HR thing involved in all of this. Russo's making demands, too. (laughs) I I just love the thought of wrestlers going to HR. Right? I just think that's the funniest thing in the world to me. Like, the HR, I mean, it's a corporation, so it exists in those fields. Mm -hmm. But it's just like... (laughs) 
Well, that's pretty much what Bischoff said, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they got punished for going to HR. Mm-hmm. HR in any corporate environment is a tricky subject. Because mm-hmm. the, thing, the thing I was always told in the corporate world is HR isn't, although they'll claim they are, HR isn't out to protect you. They're out to protect the company from you. So if you if your first yes. thought is to, if your first thought is to go to HR, you need to go to HR under the guise of not how someone hurt you, but how someone hurting you will ultimately hurt the company. Mm-hmm. And really, always pitch anything you're pitching to an HR. I'll just I'll just give you that life hack right now. H, assume HR doesn't care about you, only about the company. <gasps> so whatever you're bringing to HR, <laughs> pitch it to them in a way that the company is. The company will be at fault unless you get the resolution you want. You know what you sound like, Steve Kaufman? What a, a radical. That's fair. <laughs> I'll take that. N- not not a revolution? No. No. But a radical. Absolutely not. Well, Guerrero, Benoit, Malenko, and Saturn do end up as the radicals on WWF. What was the ramifications of all of this? I mean, it was... I mean... Probably oh, one of that the, means what happened. I know after. what it means. <laughs> like, uh, this was wow. This was easily the he looked perplexed. This yeah, was, was easily the, the biggest coup in the Monday Night War, if you will. Yeah, because a lot of people t- point to a lot of things. This was the first time four top guys at the same time leave and enter another organization. To, to me, this ended the Monday Night War, mm. in my opinion. Oh, when that's all major. of us when all of a sudden because. Jericho was already there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was already one big one. I'm, I'm forgetting another one. I think there was another. Oh, Big Show. Yes. Big Show was already there. Now all of a sudden you have WCW just feels like they're getting older because the only people they're pushing really are still your, you know, your Hogan, your Savage, your Nash, your Hall, etc. And here are your four best young guys, really, that you practically your four best on the roster, yeah. maybe with the exception of Kim and Mysterio, who mm-hmm. eventually go. Mm-hmm. And they all left at the same time, one of which just won your heavyweight championship. To me, honestly, I feel like this was the point where I stopped switching back and forth. And That's like, fair. I'm like, Ugh. no, it's it's done. Well, and I'm, the quality. I want to watch it. I love Guerrero. I love Malenko. I love Benoit. I love Saturn. Saturn, I felt, was very underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, now they're all here. I want to see what the hell is going to happen. Are we going to have an NWO type thing now in WWF? We didn't. Mm-hmm. But it was like, well... It could be an invasion type thing like Hall and Nash did years ago. So I'm intrigued. I want to watch it. I don't care about Crowbar on the other network. I want to watch this. There was no one left. Right. Well, and it, it's not like... Wee Wee was there. It's not like the quality... It's not like the quality of WCW programming hadn't been declining for years sure. before that moment. But that moment plus the programming... Decli- like the quality of programming declining was definitely a turning point for a lot of viewers. Yeah. Of like I'm I'm done changing. This is I'm I'm where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. On the on the USA network. Yes. USA network. <laughs> yeah, they were on still USA then. Yes. All right. Well, let's get one uh, Eric Bischoff on the 83 Weeks channel. Let's take a short break and we will be back in just a few minutes with the man answering your questions. Stay tuned. Welcome back to After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. On the line now is a man I think you all are pretty familiar with. He's an entrepreneur, an author, a producer, and was the president of WCW during Sold Out 2000. Hello, Eric Bischoff. <laughs> Hello, everybody. we got a big crowd in the house. Oh, we don't. I'm just kidding myself. We asked, we asked him to stay quiet because we want to hear you. So Okay, great. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing well, Chrissy. How are you? I'm great. We had a lot of fun talking about this episode of the show because even though it's not like you were there making everything happen, you had a lot of uh, interesting things to say about what was going on behind the scenes, the stuff we didn't see. Well, see, then I'm just like everybody else. It's real easy to talk about things when you weren't there. You know, and you can just make shit up. And, and people so, no, it, but, you know, the, the lead up to that period of time, the business, the things that were going on in WCW, the politics, all of that stuff that was happening backstage was just as much a part of that event as anything else. And it was it was a really fascinating period of time. It was a horrible period of time, but it was fascinating. It was, and at the end of the episode, you talked a little bit about the formula of a match and what makes a good match, but you didn't really give us your thoughts as to what that exactly is. So I got to ask you, what does Eric Bischoff think is the formula for a great wrestling match? Well, it's pretty simple, really. I, I you know, I think at the macro level, you know, kind of up here looking down, it's it's a match that has um, great structure. You know, a first act, a second act, and a third act, just like any good movie or any good book or even a television commercial for that matter. You know, everything that's really entertaining is generally broken down into a three-act structure. You find out, you know, what's the journey? Who's who's the baby face? Who's the protagonist in the story? You know, who's the antagonist? You know, what's, what's our baby face in the case of wrestling? What are they up against? How are the odds stacked against them? And what's that journey? How are they going to fight through all that to ultimately reach whatever goal they're trying to reach? And, and in the middle of all that, in the second act, you know, what are the stakes? And how are those stakes increasingly, you know, getting raised to the point where, you know, you become, you know, invested and you're rooting for that baby face character? I mean, it's really simple. It's basic storytelling. 101. And that's what I look for in a match. If I watch a match and there's great athleticism, it catches my eye. But if there's not a good story and good characters to help tell that story behind it, Mm -hmm. I kind of lose interest pretty quick. Yeah, but it is pretty simple. Um, Speaking of great matches, Dean Malenko, some of the best matches. I'm going to paraphrase this a little from at Kyle Polgart. Did Malenko do you think Malenko deliberately sabotaged the opening match of Sold Out 2000 to kind of screw things up because he was exiting absolutely not i would bet everything i've ever owned and everything i hope to own uh against that Mm -hmm. you know that's just not dean dean is a pro you know occasionally you drop the ball i'm sure there was a lot of chaos a lot of confusion uh a lot of plans are probably changed right up to the last minute and it's you know, no matter how experienced you are or how professional you are, every once in a while you're going to go out there and you're going to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. And I think Dean made an honest, legitimate mistake and felt horrible about it afterwards. On, on the same subject with, with Dean Malenko, because obviously we then talked about the Radicals making their debut um, on Raw. I was curious what your thoughts were of Dean Malenko when he went to WWF because he wasn't the Iceman there. He pretty much was a guy that was stalking Lita. He pretty much turned into a guy that was almost kind of like a perv character. So it was the wrestling came second, where obviously in WCW, that was the main focal point of him. Yeah, and I think that was bad casting on WWE's part. You know, that's not Dean. You know, Dean is, you know, and some people have the ability to just change characters on a dime and play something that's so far outside their, their real personality. I mean, those are real actors, the people that can do it well. 
unfortunately in wrestling there's not a lot of people that can do it well and those kinds of stunts or storylines or characters uh, fall by the wayside very quickly which is what happened to Dean Dean's not that guy Dean Dean is not going to be able I, in my opinion was not ever going to be able to execute a character like that in a believable way because it's so distant from from who he is mm-hmm. well at Todd Adams 83 asks what was your relationship like with Oklahoma at Ferrara compared to Vince Russo well, we, you all know how I feel about Vince. And it's, it, <laughs> it's, so my feelings have only become more intense as time goes on. You know, I get along with Ed fine. I, I didn't have a lot of respect for Ed's view of wrestling because Ed didn't come from a wrestling background. But Ed was a writer. Ed was a professional creative person. You know, he actually did real writing and, and real work, whereas Russo was more or less, you know, kind of an imposter to, to the throne, so to speak. So I got along with Ed um, quite well, actually. I, I enjoyed his company. Mm-hmm. So at a WWE historian wants to know, had you stayed on in charge of w- WCW, would you have ever given Chris Benoit the title? I don't know. You know, that's a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, I can't answer that. Honestly, or 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 effectively, mm-hmm. I just don't know. You know, that's why I don't like hypotheticals. On on the sold out two thousand pay per view, I mean, you guys talked about it on this week's episode. Uh, the vignette was Stevie Ray going back, you know, to like you know where where they grew up and and the whole segment. Me personally, when I went back and watched it, that was my favorite thing of the entire show because, like you guys talked about, how this was different. It felt real, and if. Um, yeah, it felt like Stevie Ray was kind of the babyface in this. Why do you think there was never really a successful singles push for Stevie Ray as opposed to Booker? Well, I'm not going to say that particular vignette, you know, sank his career in terms of the babyface. But let's go back and look at that scene. By the way, that was the first time I'd ever – when I went back and watched this with Conrad on this week's uh, podcast, that was the very first time I'd ever laid eyes on that pay-per-view. I didn't watch it when it was live. Obviously, I wasn't there. had no interest in ever going back and watching it until I was forced to because I was doing a podcast <laughs> about it. In, and I felt like you. That was – to me, that was one of the most quality pieces of work, creatively speaking – that I saw on Uncensored. But here's what's wrong with it. And this is so typical of Vince Russo. When you don't understand basic storytelling and, and you live in this you know crash TV concept um, that was hot for about six minutes, hmm. um, that, that scene, that, that whole vignette, the way that scene played out, if Stevie Ray would have come out of that scene, the baby face and Booker the heel, Stevie might have had a shot. Because that that story, that's exactly what that story was set up for. It's just that they're so they were so back asswards in their approach to storytelling and character that they put Stevie. He goes back to you know he goes back. He sees his friends. He goes back to the neighborhood where he grew up. You know he's reconnecting. He's 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 he's, he's being real and honest with the people that that he grew up with, and he's the heel. I'm sorry, that's kind of upside <laughs> down. Yeah. I don't I just didn't get it. And then he brings in, you know, Ahmed Johnson, you know, to do his dirty work. I mean, that was such a, a an upside down approach to storytelling that was perfectly well executed. Had they gone the other way with it? Mm-hmm. It's just that right there, I think, does more to frame 
the incompetence and the lack of understanding and psychology and storytelling, at least for wrestling, of Vince Russo than anything else I've, I've ever seen or whoever else was involved in it. Vince may, maybe, you know, to Vince's defense here, which you'll never, ever hear me say that again. You don't think. <laughs> maybe he didn't do it. Maybe somebody else did. But whoever did that um, was completely from a creative point of view incompetent. Well, that's why it's kind of surprising to hear that you didn't watch it live. Like you weren't curious just to see how bad it might be or what they were going to do. I did not give a. F- <laughs> it's your hey, cha- it's your channel. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, at Mr. Moran 15, he wants your thoughts on Shane Douglas. Do you think he was overrated, underrated? Thoughts? I think Shane got in his own way. I think to answer your question directly, I think he was underrated. I think there was a lot more potential in Shane. Mm-hmm. I think Shane could have gone on to become a much bigger star and a more important you know, player on the scene than he did. And he, and he had a lot of success. I'm not taking anything, anything away from him. But I think there was a lot more talent and a lot more personality there that we would have probably come to um, admire and know had he not kind of got in his own way politically. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, speaking of other wrestlers, at Stellar Steven wants to know, point blank, do you or do you not like The Undertaker? <laughs> what? <laughs> do you not like dark characters or gimmick? You answered Conrad's Undertaker question, but it wasn't direct enough. He wants to know directly. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in plain words, sir, <laughs> for the fans. I like The Undertaker. <laughs> How's that? Is that direct enough for you? Kind of got the vibe going there. But look, I, you know, when you when you when someone says do you like the Undertaker, what are you talking about on a personal level? Do I respect him professionally? Do I like his character? I mean, come on, you got to be a little more specific. If the question really is, do I like the Undertaker character, the dark kind of brooding, you know, um, manifestation of Undertaker's current character? Um, it's okay for me. We all know. I've said it a zillion times. I like a more believable, relatable character yeah. as opposed to a more animated type f- fictional superhero character that I think Undertaker falls into. I, I personally, I liked his, what was he, the American Badass or whatever mm, that yeah. you know motorcycle character was. I, I kind of dug that because that felt real to me and relatable to me. Um, not because I want to be a biker or anything like that, but because it was, it was just believable, but that's me. You know, I, I understand there's a huge, obviously a massive part of the audience that really, really loves that Undertaker character. Now, maybe now more because of the nostalgia and the fact that he's, he's been such an important part of the industry for such a long period of time. You know, once you get to a certain point, guys like Ric Flair, the Undertaker, Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, you're kind of bulletproof. People are going to love you no matter what you do just because you've been around so long and you represent that era of, of wrestling when it was at its peak, you know, for them as, as viewers. Uh, someone that you touched on just a little bit on this week's, uh, episode, but you've talked about him in great length on others is Jeff Jarrett. And I'm sure you've heard, maybe you've seen how Jeff Jarrett has now signed with WWE. He made his return in the Royal Rumble and was on raw and he was wearing that, that weird gear that he would wear in WCW. <laughs> I'm curious on what your thoughts are on Jeff Jarrett 
coming back into WWE and the fact that he showed up in the gear and was in the Royal Rumble. Well, I mean, the fact that he showed up in Royal Rumble is not surprising. That's kind of a tradition in the Royal Rumbles to have talent from you know previous generations and eras and so forth. You know, make surprise appearances. That's part of the fun of the Royal Rumble. Who's that going to be? You know, um, so that that didn't surprise me at all. Particularly since they had recently inducted Jeff in, into the Hall of Fame, um, I, I would have kind of expected it if I would have thought about it for five minutes uh, beforehand. So that part didn't really um, surprise me. You know, the gimmick, I think that, I don't know, maybe that was a rib on him. I don't know. <laughs> well, he, he, he actually said in an interview um, after it that that was the gear that apparently he wore in WrestleMania 11, and he was just proud that it still fit. Wow. Yeah, well, that's not a good enough reason to wear this <laughs> <laughs> But here's, here, and I don't know if you saw it, but in social media, you know, I get up about 4 o'clock every morning, and I get ready to do a, a stream that I do over on Patreon. It's just like kind of wacky news, weird stuff that happens around the world that hopefully makes people laugh. Because yes, usually the news it. you watch doesn't. <laughs> but as I got up and I'm preparing to do that stream and I'm searching for good news, I see on my Twitter feed that Jeff is now a producer in WWE. Now, you know, what that really means for all of us who've been in the industry for a long time is you're an agent. And an agent is responsible for taking the matches that are on paper and the creative that they hear about in a production meeting, communicating that and then having it manifest in the form of a wrestling match. So the story that the writers envision ends up being relatively close, in most cases, to the same story that's executed in the ring. And Jeff is really good at that. You know, I mean, I've worked with Jeff in a number of different capacities as a talent, whatever. He's achieved whatever he's achieved. Um, he was never that top guy, main event, you know, big star, but he was a solid mid-card, upper mid-card performer throughout his career, which is, by the way, a hell of a lot. That, that doesn't sound as uncomplimentary. It shouldn't <laughs> sound as uncomplimentary as it really is intended to be. But when it comes to, and I've watched him do it, you know, when it comes to communicating a creative vision from a room full of writers and communicating that to talent in a way that the talent can understand it, that's the key to a good producer. Jeff is phenomenal at that. One of the best I've ever worked with. So I think he's in a perfect role for what truly is his real skill set. Okay, well, uh, someone who's on his way out of WWE, actually, is Dean Ambrose, who has that's been announced that he's not resigning with the company. He'll be done after WrestleMania. Two parts to this question. Do you think that's a big loss for the company? And do you think we're getting to a place where we're going to see the kind of competition for talent like WCW and WWF had in the 90s? Mm, I'll answer the last part first. No. The mm. answer is no. There will never be anything remotely close to the environment that we lived through during the Monday Night Wars because the world has changed so dramatically it will never allow for there to be that kind of real intense competition. That doesn't mean that you know AEW or Ring of Honor or some other new wrestling territory that could pop up in the future won't have an effect on WWE. They may. Um, AEW may. It's too early to tell, mm -hmm. but I think for anybody to get so excited about, you know, a new promotion coming along and creating a, another, even if it's a Monday night war light type of environment, <laughs> I think you're, you're, you need to manage your expectations because the world is just so different. The first part of your question was, 
do I think that's a loss for WWE? No disrespect at all to Dean Ambrose. I don't know him. I've never really, I think I shook hands with him once a couple of WrestleManias ago for 30 seconds. Um, but I don't really know him. Mm-hmm. I don't think it matters at all. And, and it's not because of Dean's abilities or lack thereof, but in WWE right now, WWE is the star. Mm-hmm. Everybody else on that roster is, is a co-star to one degree or another. Stars are now interchangeable. They're, the, the roster is deep enough and the pool of talent is deep enough that whether it's, you know, a situation like Roman Reigns, as devastating as that was, WWE was able to they, – they shifted on the fly. They didn't even have to hit the clutch. Mm-hmm. They just kept going, right? And I think that that's intentional. You know, if you you think about it just for a second, I promise I won't go too long. But if you're running a big company like it's a publicly traded company, you've got to watch your stocks. You're going to answer your shareholders. Every little nuance and fluctuation in the business really does matter in one way, shape or form, or at least it's analyzed in a way that makes you think it does. You can't be dependent on one talent or even two or three because people get hurt. You know, situations happen, like, again, Roman Reigns. Sometimes talent just says, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I've got kids, I've got a wife, I've got a home, or I want to have kids, and I want to have a wife, and I want to have a home. (laughs) People's situations change, and if you've invested all of your resources, not just financial, but all of your television time and all that real estate into building up a character, and through some scenario that you couldn't anticipate, that character is no longer there, you – you're in a rebuild situation, and that can be devastating. And WWE has gone through that before. They learned that lesson. Vince McMahon learned what happened when competition comes along and takes your talent. And I think he endeavored to build a company that was, for the most part, impervious to that. And he did it by making WWE the star and the talent less significant than the show that they're on. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Deep man, we learned so much on the show. <laughs> That's true. That is very, very true. Because uh, I'm drinking my tea tonight. Ooh, See? Oh, so you're I, on point. I get, I get freaking lucid when I start drinking. <laughs> so at Sporch Butch Dyke, hey Eric, what's the difference between having wrestlers come out and watch on stage like in Sold Out 2000 versus having your biggest star sit in the audience ringside like you did at Starcade '97? Sitting out ringside suggests that that matches. I mean, what's the most expensive, most important seat in the house? Mm. Oh, yeah. Is it backstage? Is it on the stage? Especially the way it was presented in, in Sold Out 2000. These jagoffs were standing there talking <laughs> to each other about what they were going to do after the show. A couple <laughs> of them had their backs turned to the camera for crying out loud. Yeah. And the rest yeah. of them that were looking in the direction of the ring, trying to make it look like they were interested in what was going on in the ring, were standing there with their hands in their pockets, dressed like they were going to go out and hit the bar after the show. <laughs> so the whole, the whole, there was just no, it didn't, I understood, you know, we all understood, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this crap out. We all understood that that moment was to signify that everybody on the roster was really invested in the outcome of that match. Unfortunately, the way they carried themselves, the talent that was on the stage, didn't look that way. Right. They, were, they looked like they were forced out there at gunpoint. <laughs> you know, I had to take a leak really bad. <laughs> I really wanted to be there. All right, I got I got I got one more fun question for you. I'm gonna name four, um, you know, authority figures that have been 
on TV, whether it's WCWWE. I want you to rank them from best to worst. You got J.J. Dillon, Mike Adamley, <laughs> Teddy Long, and the distinguished Jack Tunney. Ooh. Best to worst. Wow. Because you had a lot of fun with J.J. Dillon on this week's show. Oh, he's a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's a little hard because, you know, Jack Tunney was from an era where announcers typically look like, you know, a commissioner of a football league, you know, or a high school principal. They weren't meant to be over-the-top, charismatic type of personalities that we saw later on in the 90s and the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he did an effective job, you know, from what I recall seeing of him. He he was like that. In the AWA, it was uh, – who was the guy? I can't remember the guy's name. I wish I could remember it. But there's always been that authority figure, you know, that one guy that determines if a match is a championship match or not or if there's going to be a rematch. The authority figure has always been a staple in the professional wrestling storytelling, you know, arsenal. But they've just taken different shapes. So I, it's hard to judge – Tony, you know, Adam Lee, you know, I remember watching Adam Lee and I was excited about him. You know, I remember him from the American Gladiators. You know, he played in the NFL. He's a real sports guy. He had a really good look. He had a great voice. He had a good energy. Obviously, you know, he had some issues with, you know, um, copy and script and that type of thing. But we found out later on that Mike, you know, he suffered from CTE. You know, during that period of time that he was working in WWE and he was doing all that stuff live. And trust me, I've done it. You know, I did it for years and years and years. And I don't care how much experience you have as a sportscaster. When you come out and you're you're doing you're telling a WWE story because that's what you are as an announcer. When you come out or a general manager, you're part of the story. And telling a story and to a certain degree acting is a lot different than reporting facts and information and statistics in the NFL. So Mike was uh, – he was a fish out of water and he was a fish out of water. Unfortunately, we found out afterwards he was suffering from CTE and I'm sure that that had a lot to do with some of the bobbles that he later became a little famous for. And I think that's unfair, but it is what it is. So I, I like Mike. So I would put Mike – all right, I'm going to put Jack Tunney number three. I'm going to put um, – I'm going to put Adam Lee number two. I'm going to put Teddy Long at number one. <laughs> sure. I worked, with, I worked with Teddy from 1992 all the way through 2005 or whenever I left WWE. I've had a lot of experience with Teddy. Teddy's one of my favorite people in the wrestling business. To this day, you know, we get up on, on Thanksgiving and morning and Christmas morning. We each get up super early to wish each other a happy Thanksgiving or a Merry Aww. Christmas because he tries to beat me and I try to beat him. <laughs> This past Christmas, I was up till after midnight, so I wished to my, you know, Merry Christmas around 12 to 1 a.m. I, went, I finally won! I finally won! Congratulations! Yeah, it was a big moment for me. It started the day upright. But I put, you know, Teddy was versatile. You know, Teddy, Teddy's easy to underestimate as an announcer, but he could be very entertaining. He could be believable when he needed to be believable, and he knew how to keep his stuff straight. He knew he had good instincts. So I put Teddy number one, Adam Lee number two, Tony number three, and JJ Dillon number four. And I, <laughs> really, as an, forget about how I feel about him as a as a person. You know, JJ was pretty good. You know, he's decent at what he did. He didn't really have much of a role. JJ Dillon and WCW played that kind of Jack Tunney character. He wasn't supposed to have an over the top personality. He was supposed to be that legit center, you know, center line, you know, straight as an arrow kind of authority figure. And, and JJ did that well in WCW. 
Well, thank you for playing along with us on that one. <laughs> that was fun. That's all we have for you this week. But, man, that was a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your time with us again. And uh, I, unless these gentlemen have something they'd no, like to say. No, I think we're right. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm I mean, I could talk to them all night, but I, I don't think they allow that. <laughs> all right. Well, we ho- we'll see you again next week, sir. And uh, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Now, there's Catch the wave. wave. There's the wave. <laughs> Oh, that was great. So much fun. Thank you guys for joining us on this episode of After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. Guys, if they want to keep the conversation going with you, where would they do that at? Christian? Um, yeah. Oh, I'm Christian. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Will Rosenberg, Instagram, the Will Rosenberg, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Christian Rosenberg. New shirts now available. Get them um, anytime. Right now. Right now. Right now. That would be good. And you can watch me on After Buzz TV SmackDown. Um, Steve Coffin, you can find me on Twitter almost exclusively at Steve Coffin, that is K-A-U-F. M-A-N-N, I'm involved in a lot of pro wrestling YouTube pages. If I tweet the link, chances are I'm involved. Support them, support me. That's right, and you guys can always hit me up at Christy Reports. I love to hear from you, and we will see you right back here next week. Make sure you get us your questions. Uh, they're doing a poll. It's either going to be Super, Super Bowl week. It looks like it's going to be Super Bowl six that wins out. So Ooh. keep those questions coming, and we'll see you then. Have a good week. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.